Welcome to a new episode of the Virtual Coffee Break with the MSU Extension Dairy Team. My name is Martin Mangual, Dairy Educator in West Michigan. In today's episode, Educator Stan Moore will host a discussion with Glenn and Susie Preston, dairy farmers from South Michigan. They will talk about their experience from attending a dairy school program in Israel. Stan, I turn it over to you. So I've uh, recently had a great opportunity to, to go on a trip with Glenn and Susie uh, to a, a program in Israel that was called uh, the Dairy School, the Israeli Experience. I thought it'd be nice to be able to visit with you both about that experience and uh, what, what we learned, uh, what the new surprises to us, that type of thing today. So. I want to, to uh, talk to you a little bit about that today. And so when you looked at that experience, you know, what really drew you to, to want to go? Well, at first, Phil called and personally invited us, but to combine cows in Israel, you know, study the Bible all of our lives, and just curious about where Jesus walked or where cows walked. Never really were interested in going to Israel until they threw in the cow thing. So. <laughs> So pretty, pretty unique uh, to put those two together. Yeah, and pretty, yes. sp- mm-hmm. pretty spontaneous, too. We, there's the three extension guys, uh, three dairy couples, a couple veterinarians, a couple industry guys. It worked out really, really good. It exceeded our expectations. So. It, was a, it was a unique trip because it, you got to both experience the culture, uh, the Christian heritage there, um, but also see cows. And so... As we visited those farms and we went to some feed centers, talked to some industry experts on heat and feeding, you know, what were some surprises, uh, some unexpected discoveries that you guys had? The country itself was pretty interesting. It's a small country with 9 million people that's gaining a lot of people, immigration. Um, well, you say Christian, but it's Jewish, you know, and the Jews and the Muslim, and they don't... Um, you know, they don't get along, they haven't. And so to see that, we were not surprised in the extreme security. We expected that. Um, but for Susie and I, the topography, it's such a small, narrow country. I guess at the narrowmost point, it's only eight miles across. We went through the West Bank, heard about that forever, didn't really understand the hostilities that are associated with that. We got to swim in the Dead Sea with you guys. And that was 1,400 feet below sea level. And then we were at a feed center that you could see Mount Hermon, which was 10,000 feet. So in a small country, we just had tremendous topography changes. And the, the country itself, being in the tropics more or less, they grow bananas, had to keep compete with bananas for ground. And that was... The date palms. Yeah, so pretty dry environment, yet, but yet they're growing this, and so a lot about water yes. know, and the technology that they've mm-hmm. invested there. The desalinization yes. plants that they have, you know, is mm-hmm. something we don't even consider. You live in the Great Lakes, and so for all of those crops that you talked about, the tropical ones, they're irrigating to make that happen. Right, and obviously yeah. you can't compete growing corn with bananas or dates or those specialty crops. So they don't feed corn. That was probably, as a dairy farmer, how do you be a dairy farmer and not have corn in your region? And of course, they import everything. Um, 
it was neat the one seminar we had with the um, nutritionist you know they feed as low as 30 percent forages in their diets which that wouldn't work here yeah yeah very low forage diets and and um very expensive imports right right anything else that uh, surprised you we were there on the most rainiest week that they 51 had. Fifty-one years. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I guess it didn't affect us as much as it affected them there too. That they were surprised at all the rain. They were thankful for it, so we took credit for it, of course. As, yes. As the, yes. As the dirt coming over from from the U.S. So yeah, water was water was a pretty oh. unique thing. So what about culturally? And I know there's there's a lot of crossover here. What do you mm-hmm. think about culturally and? Specifically, what we saw on dairy farms. Well, it's a socialistic country, and we didn't realize that. So, the one dairy farmer that we went to, you guys get to own land. And we just kind of take that for granted. But if you're going to be a dairy farmer, you've got to have access to land. And they have to rent their land from the government. Um, so, that, that was a big struggle in land use, land planning. The roads and the infrastructure were beautiful. It's a and at farms, security too. They had fences, gates around. They locked things up. Calling manure, bigger challenge in here. Some of the, the most progressive dairy we were at were the Affy Mill. That was on a business loop. I mean, it had cyclone fence around because 50 feet away was a six-lane highway. But yet, uh, and we didn't mention this earlier, but Israel as a whole has the highest average uh, milk production per cow. Um, so to, yeah. to see that within that context was kind of an interesting thing. To know. So there were three dairy farmers that went there. We, we had a little chip on our shoulder, wondering, "Okay, we don't think we're this. Yeah, we don't <laughs> think we're that bad, you know." And um, and so how they're doing it, and I think we've all kind of come to the conclusion because of socialization, there's a socialized society. The vet services, a lot of these things are provided for. The record keeping. Um, they don't have the extremes. They don't have the highs and the lows. They don't have grazers. They don't have Amish um, and farms that are milked by them. They're all pretty high tech. And so um, I'm, Very much so I'm pretty sure that we have higher milk producing herds. I think all three of us that were there could go home thinking that. There was this unique thing that happened once a year. Something yes. changed. Talk about that on the, on the dairy farms. It was kind of bizarre that they, the cows can't have um, any wheat. Yes, uh-huh. So during Passover, the cows, kosher cows, um, and so they cannot be um, wheat, which that was a little bit bizarre. That was a surprise. Yeah. In Israel, you're a Jew before you're anything else, yeah, unless you're a Muslim. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was unique, and they talked about milk production goes up, so it's not that they wouldn't like to feed corn silage but it would just be too expensive for them to feed so it's limited to that three or four week time period um and they don't and they don't feed soybean meal or or um canola like we do but we're not shipping it clear across the atlantic either right right well in the one feed processing place we went to they just had the same Ration for I don't know how many dairies. 50 different groups. 50 some dairies that were getting the same ration delivered to the cows. And that was pretty surprising. And how much, as Glenn said, you know, the, the variation is taken out from the low to the high. And, and that would certainly do that. <laughs> yes, it would. All these cows are getting the same ration. They're seeing the same vet service come yes. out to them. And 
importing yes. all their records into a national system, so there's a lot of consistency. Mm -hmm. Yes. What about attitudes within uh, the Israeli dairy industry? I guess because that's what we that's what we were um, visiting most often. But what did you see there? Well, in the last area we went to that was right adjacent to the Dead Sea, in my mind, was the most progressive. And he said, you know, up to a few years ago, you, because of the socialization, the quota system. You couldn't lose money milking cows. He said, you can do it now. And I said, well, come to Michigan. Well, <laughs> you know, but um, the reality of that is really at home. And, and they, it seemed to me the generational farmers who were managers were in their 50s and 60s. And of course, we didn't go to every farm, but there was only one young farmer. And the, and the last night, he doesn't like it, so I mean, so that was really depressing. I don't know what the future of their dairy industry really is without um, stimulating. And I guess maybe that's the same way here too. Somewhat, but well, the first farm we went to, that was a young farmer, and his dad wanted him to come back, and was he told his dad the only way he'd come back is like the robots. Yes, because mm -hmm. uh -huh, he didn't want more cows. And that was in a place that. It was so congested for its buildings, and there was a restaurant out front. Yes, it was. There was some land use competitions that we already mentioned, the, the crop competition, but in a small country like that, there's a lot of land use uh, yes. issues on, on what can actually be yes. used uh -huh. for farming. One of the things that, that surprised all of us, too, is the amount of technology there from a startup standpoint. So. Um, we got to visit Affy Milk while we were there um, and see some of what they're doing. And mm -hmm. um, we don't think about necessarily all the technology that we use in the U.S. that, that comes from Israel. Yeah. Um, so that was a surprise to me. I don't know about what you guys but Well, you don't see that first thing. Yeah. We knew Affy Milk was from Israel, and that was kind of the real techie stuff for mm -hmm. his individual milk. Way. And that was neat to go there, and they were doing research that they didn't let us see. Not a robotic um, milking parlor. Talk about the cows. Um, so this was another technology. Um, um, they're cooling cows, didn't So the, they're cooling cows. Um, but what me as a dairy farmer caught, those are different cows than what we milk here. They, they have the um, cooperative. It's not cooperative. It's socialized. So the government provides um, a breeding service. So the vets come and all these things. You're a dairy farmer, but you've got a lot of outside influence. And these cows hadn't been exposed to European and North European, North American genetics. And they were Holstein cows that had derived from the Damascus cow, which looked like a big, ugly brown Swiss cow with a high tail head. And these cows were kind of smaller framed, but because of their diet, they kind of looked like 65 gallon barrels sitting on legs to me. But, and they go to great lengths to cool those cows from next to the Dead Sea in the summertime, it's hot, they'll put them in a cooling pen, like a holding pen, and cool them seven, eight times a day. When it's just showers. Yeah, and, and their water's expensive, so it's gotta yes. work for them. Mm -hmm. And the milking parlor was totally air conditioned. Um, things we don't even comprehend, but not many of us would sign up milking 120 degrees too. Right. Right, and, and yet they were able to do that, not see production drop in the summertime, yeah. not see um, conception rates drop in the summertime. So it was 
definitely some interesting things to view. Apparently, they make it work. Is there anything take home from that that you would that trip that you might look at on your dairy farm trying to implement uh, some changes that you want? Well, uh, there's some things we're definitely not going to do. I mean, we never were on a farm where there was free stalls. We were all loose tremendously. The density of the um, per square foot per cow, I don't know if you guys remember what that was, but it was huge. Yeah, huge buildings and huge. And uh, so, but you think of free stalls the way we cord cows in there like cordwood and their body heats and we blow fans across them. I think there's some real, they've got some things going there, but I, I think we can make some more aggressive attempts in trying to cool our cows for that short period of time that we have in Michigan. Right. And, and do it in an efficient way. If you, uh, if you were explaining this to another dairy producer and, you know, they're questioning, well, why would you go clean over there to see something? What, what are the benefits of you know, going to a different industry, different different country, looking at the different industry there. What do you see as the benefits to you? Well, the friendships that we made in this group. I mean, Phil and Stan inviting us to go along, we, they're no quantity, so that was positive. But um, the three other dairy farmers, the two other dairy farmers and the industry people, those are going to last a lifetime. There's only 15 of us on the group. It's a great group to travel with. But if we're constantly concerned about exporting more of our product internationally, who's our competition? And uh, I don't see Israel as being a competition because they're going to supply their domestic market and their um, population is just growing. Every Jew, their ultimate goal is to go back, or I think, at least a visit, if not, with a called Aliyah? Is that when they move back to Israel and the state sponsors that the, the state sponsors what's called birthright for college kids that have a jewish background or their families wish to go and learn about that it's neat the ownership that they have on their their religion but why would i encourage you to go see go see the world and what it really does it makes you appreciate how sweet home well we enjoy visiting dairy farms wherever we go we can always Learn something, and there's one thing that you can bring back, and, mm-hmm. and just even just the different culture that it is interesting. To. Forty-five years ago, when we got married, I never expected Susie to be so willing to tromp around, and we've been on a lot of dairy farms. But her grandfather said, "Don't let those guys teach you how to milk cows." So <laughs> that worked really well for us. But yeah, what made it easy to go to is. It's a family business, and the next generation is smarter than what we are, and so they're vested, and it made it real easy to go. And so you'd encourage others to? Oh, definitely. Step up yes. And do something uh-huh. like yeah, and yes, I hope there's another group that goes over, that there's another chance. Mm-hmm. And it was a compliment, the organizer who had worked at Affy Mill, because when we would go... From farm to farm, you guys did seminars on the bus, stood up, risked your life. <laughs> but we used that time officially, bang, 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 because we weren't going to set a classroom where we could get our boots in. And so that was neat. And his compliment was that he never had had a group that had been so intense in the study of the dairy industry. And I thought that was a compliment to us, but it was also 
um, who the group was. Yeah. yeah, Phil and I did take a couple of lumps for the team, but it was a great experience, and, and uh, yeah, we would, we would really, uh, hope that it happens again so we get some Michigan Indians interested. Well, it was neat to have um, the, the, Israeli, the Israeli nutritionists come in and set in on a seminar, and their interest level is just as great as ours, and yeah, let's do it again. Let's go someplace else. Yeah, lots of, <laughs> lots of opportunities out there. There so. is. There is. Well, we want to thank you guys for sitting down with us today. We are big proponents of MSU Extension and what's meant to our family business over the years. And this is just kind of a crown jewel trip. Yeah, it was time well spent. Thank you, Glenn and Susie. We would like to thank. Stan and the Prestons for a great discussion today. We will also like to thank our listeners for joining in. Don't forget to subscribe to receive the latest episodes in the future. Join us next week when educator Marian Buza will talk with Dr. Pam Rood, Chair of the Department of Animal Science at Michigan State University. Their topic? Improving the targeting of your antibiotics usage. So we ask that you please join us then. Thank you.